Dear fellow students, I'll call us that together. I welcome you to our last combined session of the study of the Beatitudes. And yet I hope that this will not be the end of your personal study of these opening words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's always much more gold to be found in prayerful meditation on the scriptures, especially if you compare it with other scriptures and passages that are related to this. So please continue to study these words of Jesus, also the entire Sermon on the Mount, which of course we haven't covered. In this section today, we will focus our thoughts on the verses 10, 11, and 12, which closes the Beatitudes section. Now let me first place these verses in the context again and in the connection to the previous seven verses. In the Beatitudes, the Master teaches given us the portrait of every citizen of his vast kingdom and the deep and great variety of his people in them. Now that shows an exceeding great wisdom. For the variety among Jesus' citizens, of his kingdom at least, are huge. They are young and old believers. There are educated and illiterate believers. There are rich and poor. There are some that are on a high social level of influence and others who are very low on the social ladder. And yet, Jesus was able to draw a unified picture in all that diversity of his people. And to me, that is one of the unsurpassed beauties of the Beatitudes, that he accomplished that in seven statements. Now, before we step away from the portrait of this born-again soul and see how the world reacts on it, uh, let me illustrate once more how Christ-centered the Beatitudes are as all of the Scripture really is. In Beatitude 1, 2, 3, we read of a man or woman who says, I need the Savior, Jesus Christ, because I am poor and needy. In Beatitude 4 is the expression of, I embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as my hope, my righteousness, my salvation. And Beatitude 5, 6, 7 is the expression of one who says, I will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we now look at the concluding Beatitudes, which are in essence one, the Lord touches upon one of the greatest ironies that is found in this fallen world. It's an irony that involves both the Master, the King, the Lord Jesus, and that follows his most faithful followers. Friends, there's never been a person in the history of mankind who have loved more, served more, gave more, reached out to more, accepted more, and sacrificed more than Jesus Christ did in his very short-lived life on earth. 
you read his biography, written by four credible authors, and he was the best ever. He went about doing good. He showed endless acts of kindness to the most unkind people. He ministered to every need that was placed before him. He denied his own comfort all the time. He sacrificed his strength and his sleep to help needy people over and over. He even opened himself up to the vilest slander by eating with the outcasts, rebels among the Jews. He stood up for the vulnerable and enslaved women and children. And lovingly, he warned and preached the truth as genuine and as compassionate as none ever did. And what was the end result? He was hated, haunted, forsaken, slandered, and finally innocently condemned to death. He was slaughtered as if one of the vilest fellows who ever lived on earth. Well, Jesus has never hidden the fine print of being his disciple. He warned repeatedly throughout his teaching as he's leading his disciples about suffering, about bearing a cross, his cross, about sharing in his rejection. So Jesus warned that if you would resemble him in godliness, you will be disliked, you will be sidelined, slandered, set aside. You may face solitary confinement. You may even be killed or slaughtered. Here are a few verses to illustrate that. Matthew 10. Behold, I sent you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Or John 15, verse 20, 21. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they have kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because, here it is, they don't know him, my Father, that sent me. They misunderstand. They're ignorant. They're in darkness. John 16, verse 33, he adds, The things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. And then he adds, in the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So clearly, Jesus taught and never hid the content of a small but sweet saying. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Now, on the basis of these Beatitudes and the concluding part of it, Martin Luther taught that every true church and every genuine Christian will be known by the level of persecution they endure. And therefore, this last, this last Beatitude or these two last Beatitudes are, are both searching as well as comforting. How is it searching? Well, 
Friends, if I never experience any level of persecution by the unregenerate surroundings, well, we need to ask ourselves, am I a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ? Or am I kind of like a chameleon Christian? I adapt to my surroundings to blend in with the principles and the manners of life so that I avoid confrontation or rejection or whatever persecution level of persecution we may receive. On the other hand, it's also extremely comforting, especially for those who experience any level of persecution, as Jesus here points out in these Beatitudes. Now, it is this second aspect, the comfort, that was Jesus' main intention in these closing Beatitudes. So, let's again hear the Savior. He declares you blessed if you are persecuted for his name's sake or reviled falsely. So let's consider what, what does Jesus mean with persecution? And secondly, why would you call such people blessed and to rejoice? So what does Jesus mean with persecution? Now, with persecution, the Lord means any level of opposition or rejection or oppression subjection or harassment or maltreatment or discrimination or finally even torture or death. That's what all is included in the word persecution. There are indeed many Christians today who suffer in prisons, who are enslaved, who are separated from their loved ones involuntarily or banished out of their country. Many others much milder form of persecution may suffer a denial of a promotion in a business or lose the position altogether or miss out on a beautiful business opportunity because their faithfulness to Jesus' holy, perfect will. Again, others may endure slander or a sneer or a comment or just, just really despising smile that, or an outright reviling by neighbors as a form of persecution. Or yes, some of them are even abandoned and ostracized by their family. I mean, look at it, what they did to Jesus. They called him all kinds of names. They called him a, a drunk, a wine-bibber. They called him a, a friend of sinners. They called they call him a rebel rouser. You look at the Apostle Paul, he was accused of being a troublemaker, and repeatedly attempted to kill him. The blind man healed by Jesus in John 9, when he was uh, confessing Christ, what happened to him? Cast out by his religious community, forbidden ever to come in a temple again. So Jesus touches with his word persecution, any physical, emotional, social, economic, and spiritual suffering. Yet, notice that the Lord conditions the persecution with two important qualifiers we must never omit. He says, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
And blessed are they when men shall revile and persecute you and say all manner of things against you falsely for my sake. Those two clarifications we need to keep in mind. Let it be clear that not all suffering Christians are included in this beatitude. Anyone who as a Christian suffers for his own wrongdoing is in vain claiming the comfort of Jesus' words. Peter touches upon that truth in 1 Peter 4.15. He says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler in other man's matters. So obviously, any Christian who is in prison because he's a murderer or a thief or an adulterer or an abuser cannot claim the comfort from this beatitude. Yeah? Even if you are going around in this world as a judgmental Christian, as an arrogant Christian, as a disdainful of other people Christian, an unkind Christian, oppressive or overzealous or overrighteous, or in short, if you go around as a Christian unlike Jesus Christ, you will suffer. Such behaviors will invite pushback, sidelines, rejection, persecution, but forget not, these do not fall under Jesus' beatitude. So, keeping these Beatitudes in the context of Matthew 5 means then that those people who live the Beatitude life, who live as this Beatitude person, the more you may live like that, the more you will experience some level of the world's opposition, persecution, rejection, reviling, for his name's sake, or for righteousness' sake. Friends, be prepared. When you live in harmony with God's holy will, when you practice true godliness, when you act like the salt of the earth and the light of the world, if you live more and more like the master, the king, then be ready to experience what the Master himself experienced. Think of godly Daniel, what he experienced. Though every statesman around him recognized his wisdom, his incredible integrity, his faithfulness and commitment uh, to his king, his honesty in all his business dealings and government guidance, yet he ended up plotted against to be killed by his colleagues. Why? Not because he acted evil. They hated the beatitude character in his life. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, all record Jesus' call to discipleship. Let me read it to you. And he said, Jesus, to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, to come after Jesus Christ, to be his follower, that means to be his disciple. 
That means to be his imitator, his learner. To be a disciple is to live like him, in love, in holiness, in meekness, in reaching out to the needy. That includes, friends, that we deny ourselves. And that means we take up sometimes the painful cross of being associated with our Lord as we follow him in the battles of his kingdom, doing his will. Now, for some, that means to distance themselves from the loved ones who refuse to honor Jesus' kingship over all aspects of life. And so many, indeed, face that very sore reality. For others of Jesus' disciples, that may mean they have to give up a prestigious position or a very profitable business deal because they're asked to violate God's laws of honesty and purity and integrity. So, therefore, count on it. Don't be surprised when you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, when you act like a good Samaritan, showing your mercy and pouring yourself into the life of a total stranger who is found along your life's path. Or when you act like the father of that son who just totally screwed everything up in his life. And he embraced them and he forgave them and he reinstated them, even though you hurt so badly. Some can't understand that. Or when you feed your enemy who seeks to kill you or destroy your business and you go out of your way to minister to him or to her. Or when you reach out to the reject and to those who seek your help, who are left by others. Now, especially if you are Christ's faithful preacher, you are to to expect this experience of the force of darkness. If you notice in verse 11, as a slight change of person, Jesus directed verse 11 particularly to his disciples standing around him while verse 10 is more general. The last part of verse 11 supports that. This is really directed to the preachers, for he says, they shall say all manner against you falsely, for they have persecuted the prophets which were before you. So he's here speaking to the prophets that stand around him. That will be his teachers. So, brethren, in the ministry, those of you who are teaching, Let's take instruction and comfort of Jesus' beatitude. If you're faithful to your calling, and if you preach God's truth as Christ preached it, without adding it, without twisting it, without minimizing it, without darkening one part or favoring another part above some other aspect of the truth. No, if you preach that whole counsel of God and if you back that up with a ministry life like Jesus lived, then expect what Jesus says. They shall revile you. They shall persecute you. They shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. They will drag you into courts with false accusations. And instead of groaning and moaning about that, what does the captain ask you to do? He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad. 
So that leads us to our second thought. Why are such persecuted Christians blessed and called to rejoice or to be glad? Well, our Lord's teachings in these verses, again, must have caused a shock wave of astonishment, as they did in many other places. For to the Jews, if you were suffering, that always means, in their thinking, that God is displeased with you. You suffer because you're a bad boy, bad girl, you're a sinner. To the worldly leaders, they look at this as an utterly ridiculous statement. It makes no sense. You're blessed when you're valued, when you're praised, when you're promoted, when you're flattered, when you're honored, not when you are persecuted. So, let me then share five reasons why persecuted Christ-like people are blessed and have reasons to rejoice. First, this type of persecution, for righteousness' sake, for his name's sake, indicates genuine character of faith. Satan, friends, is not bothered with the half-hearted. The compromising Christians, to him, no threat. Leaves them alone. Let's them go. Secondly, because persecutions like this improve or promote the growth of godly character. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, Peter compares persecutions and trials to the fire that cleans up the, the gold. They're like the fire that purifies the gold. And therefore, James adds, for example, James 1, 2 to 3, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of different temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. And of course, it works other things, but that is the benefit of it. Now, thirdly, these persecutions and trials they're also blessed because they keep your heart focused on the hereafter. We all face a great spiritual struggle as we are rooted into this ground of this earth and the life we live here, even though it's not to stay. And to be unrooted is one way by which God accomplishes that through persecution. We have to remain pilgrims on a journey to another world. We are to remain looking out and for Jesus Christ, and with Paul, share the longings of his life as he wrote, for me to live, all it is, is Christ. And for me to die is gain. Why gain? Because it will be all of Christ that he couldn't have here. So persecution is God's aid to make us more ready to depart, to be with Christ. Now, fourthly, why are you blessed? Because persecution happens to be one of the best ways to evangelize God's truth to others. History has proven over and over that the blood and the sufferings of the martyrs always is the seed of the church. How many prison guards, how many fellow prisoners, as well as observers, have come to Christ through the sufferings of believers and seeing them suffer with such a fortitude and joy. What is it? They ask. 
And lastly, they're blessed because great is the reward in heaven, Jesus says in verse 12. Jesus reaffirmed that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As he already said in the first beatitude, he repeats here again in the uh, verse, uh, verse 10. The glories of eternal life with God is the reward of heaven. The communion with him and the fellowship with all saints on a new earth where there is only righteousness is the reward he speaks about. In Matthew 19, 28, 29, Jesus encourages all his people who suffer for his kingdom's sake. Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, that in the regeneration the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. That is, when he returns, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he adds, and everyone that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife or children, or lands, for my name's sake. And some of them indeed I know who have done that. They shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Therefore, rejoice and be exceeding glad, my friends. So therefore, followers of the Master, or fellow sufferers for the King, you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, instead of self-pity, instead of retaliation or resentment, no, no, rejoice. Be exceeding glad. Be filled with an unrestrained gladness, that means. How is that possible? How can you do that? That's only possible when we keep a solid faith in Jesus' promises. Remember the promise, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And therefore, the Apostle Paul, who've gone through incredible sufferings for Jesus, could triumph despite the sufferings he endured. Romans 8, 17, 18, he says, and if children attitude men, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then he concludes, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then he continues in verse 28, and sure, a statement of his own faith. He says, and we know that all things, even the hard things, the painful things, work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. And then finally he triumphs in verses 37 to 39. And what a reason to rejoice. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through the King that loved us. For I am persuaded neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor powers and principalities, nor things that are present, persecution, nor things that come, more persecution maybe, nor the heights, nor the depth, nor any other creature or any other event shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that brings us to our conclusion, friends. We've studied a curious group of people, God's kingdom people. And how opposite most of them are to these, to those our society esteems or reveres and honors. Christ-like people don't receive many rewards in this life or recognition or Nobel Prizes or gold medals. No. However, they receive something far more exceedingly beautiful. What? They're declared blessed by the king by Jesus. And once we see the glory of all what the promises Jesus gives to his beatitude, people in this portion and in the rest of the scripture, we will join Paul's doxology in Ephesians 1 verse 3. And there he'll use the word blessed in a different way. Blessed, which means worthy of all praise, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So may God bless these messages on the Beatitudes to his glory and to your comfort. Thank you and God bless.